You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase, get your mind out of the gutter? According to the Urban Dictionary, it means to stop thinking dirty thoughts, which are usually sexual or inappropriate thoughts. We've all heard someone make a a perfectly innocent comment, and then someone in the room start laughing because they've read a, a sexual innuendo into the statement. And at that moment, you know, you just want to say, hey, come on, man, get your, get your mind out of the gutter. Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to say to all of us, hey, Christian, get your mind out of the gutter. This is what he says in the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3. Paul is going to encourage us to start changing the way we think and what we allow ourselves to think about. Paul rightly understood a very valuable truth about human beings, and that is what we think most about is where we will eventually begin to behave like. What we think most about, that's what we're going to start behaving like. In other words, where the mind goes, the body will eventually follow. You see, the battle for our behavior always begins up here. It always begins in our minds. Now, hey, both God the Father... And our enemy, Satan, understand this truth. The problem is that we don't always understand it. We believe falsely that we can think any way we want to think. And as long as those thoughts stay up here, well, we're just fine. But that's not true. Unfortunately, that's not the way life works. Destructive thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, become destructive and inappropriate behaviors eventually. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Guys, look at that list of horrible actions. And where does Jesus say they flow from? They flow flow from my heart. In other words, in this context, they flow from within me, from my mind, from my thoughts. Here is the truth that we're going to look at today in depth. The fact that I need to set my mind on the right things. Or as Paul is going to say, to set my mind on things above. Let's begin reading in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, if we could go back and look at the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul has been arguing for the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is the creator and the sustainer of life. And as Paul would write, he is the the image of the invisible God. In other words, 
When we see Jesus, we see our God. Paul would, would later add an even uh, important thought that Christ is greater than any human philosophy that we might come across. He's more powerful than any law or religious regulation that we might put ourselves under. Only Jesus can make us right with God because he died and he rose from the dead. And then he allowed us to rise with him. And hey, if you're a Christian this morning, you have been raised with Christ. And now, having been raised with him, we need to seek the things that are above where he is. Our thoughts need to be focused on the thoughts of Christ. And yet, guys, so many of our minds are consumed with things on the earth. And yet, Paul says here, our minds have been renewed in Christ. But unfortunately, we continue to think the same old thoughts that we've always thought. The thoughts of the world. And so for this reason, Paul is going to draw a contrast. He's going, to, he's going to picture for us first the thoughts of the earth. And then he's going to tell us about the thoughts of heaven. He's going to tell us about the thinking of Christ and contrast it to the thinking of the world. What are the thoughts and the attitudes of this world? What are the thoughts and the attitudes of, of heaven? And which one do we find ourselves more consumed with? Which one's do we see our lives being more dominated by in our thinking? And let me begin by seeing, or let us begin by seeing how Paul describes the thoughts and the attitudes of this world. Or as he phrases it, the thoughts and the attitudes of those on the earth. Look at verse 5. He says, therefore, put to death the mem your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Look at the garbage that is consuming the thoughts of the person whose mind is set on earthly things. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, all of these words describe a person who has an out-of-control sexual behavior going on in their life, sexual thoughts going on in their life. Fornication. We're all familiar with this word. It's the Greek word pornea. It was used to describe any form of sexual activity outside of marriage, sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, lust, homosexual behavior. It covered all forms of of sexual behavior outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Then he mentions the word uncleanness. This spoke of being sexually dirty. It, we would use it in contrast to saying a person is morally pure. He uses the word passion, which in this context describes lusting for another person, lusting for something that's not yours, physically craving someone to whom you're not married. Then he mentions evil desire or, or desiring something that's morally wrong. Have, have you ever just found yourself wanting something that you knew you had no business wanting? That's what he's talking about here. In the context, though, it's, it's talking about desiring something that's sexually wrong. 
Remember that Paul is writing to a Greek and Roman world. And the Greek and Roman world at that time was dominated by sexual immorality. The Roman world, to a large degree, greatly resembled our world today. The only difference is they didn't have the internet and cable TV and cell phones in our hands that could promote and produce these sexual perversions immediately and abundantly. See, what Paul describes as earthly thinking here is overwhelmingly sexual. And can anybody honestly say, as they look around our world today, that this isn't exactly what Paul would be speaking to us about today? A world consumed with sexual, with wrong sexual desires? Our world has become so sexual that we don't even recognize how bad it's gotten a lot of the times. Thursday night at the men's group, a couple of guys were talking about how they had caught themselves watching videos on YouTube of strange things. And, and all of a sudden it hit them, you know, what am I watching? It wasn't in and of itself pornography, but it was so sexually charged that we had no business going there. And yet we do. You, you see, the, the line of what is acceptable in our society has moved so far that even we as Christians are losing sight of where the line is. What should be wrong in our eyes? The next word that Paul uses is the word covetousness. This is wanting things that others possess that we don't have. Paul equates it to idolatry. We desire things so badly that, that we're almost worshiping them. That's the impression that Paul is giving here. And, and notice one thing about all of these sins that he mentions. They are all sins that involve our eyes. You see, guys, our eyes are one of Satan's greatest tools to mold what we think about. We, inter we entertain ourselves with immoral pictures and TV shows and YouTube videos. And then these become the images that dominate our thinking. These ideas get planted down inside of us. And, and, and we become consumed with them. And this is why we have to guard our eyes. We must fight to avoid things that lead to worldly thinking. Our eyes are the keys. But now Paul is going to bring up one further evidence that maybe our minds are too focused on earthly things. More evidence that our minds are becoming corrupted. Look at verse 8. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Hey, if our eyes are the gateway to consume lust and ungodly desires, then our mouths are the pipeline that we use to spew that ugliness out. Look at what Paul describes as the norms of the world. Anger and wrath. <laughs> it's, it's losing my temper and exploding at other people around me. And haven't you noticed during this COVID period how on edge people have become to the point of exploding in situations that they wouldn't normally explode in? You're sitting in a restaurant and all of a sudden, you know, the service is a little off. Uh, you know, restaurants are struggling. And all of a sudden you hear somebody just blasting the waiter or the waitress. And you go, what are you doing? Hey, 
That anger and wrath that, that is within them flows out. How about malice? It's saying things that with the desire to harm another person. In other words, this is being intentional with your malicious words, saying, I'm going to hurt you, and here's how I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to spew these words at you, and you're going to know it. That's what malice is. How about blasphemy? You know what that is? It's turning these ugly words up towards God and up towards his son, Jesus Christ. Or filthy language, which is simply excuse me, profanity. It's using coarse words or, or using words that have double meanings. You know, they're clean on the surface, but they, they can be taken crudely or sexually under the surface. And then he speaks of lying. Lying becomes the ultimate sign of a worldly mind. Now think about it. God is a God of truth. Satan is the great deceiver. Therefore, whose side are we on when we're trying to lie and deceive another person? So, guys, when our eyes are focused on the things of the earth, it's evidenced by what comes in. And it's also evidenced by what spews out. Because what spews out is what my eyes are focused on. What are your eyes and your mouth revealing about where your mind is focused? Stop and think about that for a minute. If I look back on my week, you know, what have I taken in? What have I spewed out? <laughs> Listen, the eyes and the mouth don't lie. Pun intended. You'll think about that for a while. You'll get it in a little while. But Paul's solution for us with this is to put off these things. The Greek word that Paul uses, putting off, it, it was used for the act of stripping your clothes off and then being so filthy and so dirty that you just take them and you throw them away. They're so contaminated by junk that they can't be salvaged. There's no hope of cleaning them. They just got to be thrown away. When I was growing up, we used to go down to Florida every year on vacation because my grandparents lived on Jacksonville Beach. They lived about a block off the beach. And so we'd go down and spend a couple of weeks. And one day on the trip, which was kind of the highlight for me, my dad would always take us deep sea fishing on one of those uh, party boats. Have you ever been on a party boat? You know, it's where they cram about 100 people on, the, on a, a boat that's about 50 feet long. And you're like this and, you're fishing, and you just bottom fish. You know, it's, it's always cool to me because you never know what you're going to catch when you bottom fish in the ocean. You know, you, my dad caught an octopus one time, which was the coolest thing. You know, you catch all kind of ugly fish. Every once in a while you catch one that's actually good, but you catch all kind of just crazy things. Well, we would come home from those fishing trips, and our clothes would be so covered in squid juice and, and fish guts and sweat and, and all kind of stuff. I mean, we would be so dirty that my mom wouldn't even let us come in the, her, in the house. She would strip us down to our underwear and she would make us shower outside under the beach shower. You know, I had one of those beach showers. And she would take our clothes and she would just drop them in the trash can. She wouldn't even wash them. And I'm not kidding. She would just throw them away. And, and this is exactly what Paul is saying we need to do with the worldly ways of thinking and acting that, that come on us. We need to strip them off and throw them away. Guys, we can't just clean things up. Some of you know, our, our behavior can be so bad that God says, look, you got to just strip it off and throw it away. In other words, get serious with it. Look at verse 10. He says, 
And we have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we have to strip off the old man, but then we have to put on the new man. Again, a picture word of putting on a new set of clothes. We have to take off those old filthy things and we just have to throw them away. But then we have to put on a new outfit. We have to put on the new man. And this is where a lot of us stop. Sometimes we get angry and we start stripping things out of our lives. We get frustrated and we say, I'm not ever doing that again. And we take things off. But guys, if you never clothe yourself in the new man, those old habits will quickly come back. This new person Christ has created in us must begin to shine through our lives. We've got to cooperate with the work of God and let God do that work from the inside out. Because God's, God has changed us. If you're a Christian this morning, you are not the person you used to be. The Spirit of God is living inside of you. We are something new in Christ. And notice what Paul says. This new man inside of us has been renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. Whose image? Christ's image. Jesus' image. We have some new knowledge in what was once a corrupted mind. In other words, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us has put some new stuff in us that will enable us to think like Jesus thinks. We've got a part to play. We have to, to put on this new way of thinking, Paul says. In other words, God has placed it there, but we've got to make the effort to, to focus our thinking in new ways. We have to cooperate with the work of God's Spirit. We have to focus our thoughts on where they need to be. And let me tell you, when you start trying to do this, you are going to be frightened by how often you have to change your thoughts. I, I taught this, we were talking about this in Free Indeed a few weeks ago. And I challenged the guys in Free Indeed. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start thinking about every time you have a, a corrupt thought or a, a thought that's not acceptable. And I want you to start taking note of it because I want you to catch yourself and start trying to, to put your mind on something new. When you start doing that, you will be shocked at how often, I'm talking about moment by moment, that those evil thoughts, those bad thoughts, those sexual thoughts come into your mind. But here's the best news that Paul tells us. He says, the new person that we have become does not differ based on our backgrounds before Christ. It doesn't matter if we were a Jew or a Greek. It doesn't matter if we were a law keeper or a law breaker. It doesn't matter if we were educated in the best universities or if we were a high school dropout. It doesn't matter if we were the boss or the lowest employee on the social ladder. We all get a new start in Christ and we all start from the same place. We all start with the capacity to change and to become what God wants us to be. That's exciting to me. It doesn't matter who you are. Guys, stop making excuses for yourself. Because it's what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter 
what your background was. You're capable of thinking the thoughts and the mind of Christ just like anyone else. We all get this new start in Christ. And, and, and we have to recognize it and we have to believe it. But now starting in verse 12, we're going to see what it means to set our minds on things above. Paul is going to begin to describe for us what are the priorities and the attitudes and the actions of heaven. Here in the next several verses, Paul's going to tell us five things about the new man or the new woman in Christ and how they should think. In verse 12, he's going to talk about the attitudes of heaven. In verse 13, he's going to talk about the actions of heaven. In 14, the achievement of heaven, maybe the greatest achievement of heaven. In verse 15, the arbiter of heaven. Verse 16, the authority of heaven. And then in verse 17, he's going to tell us how we need to become the ambassadors of heaven. So let's spend the balance of our time looking how God wants to change our minds to begin to think about the atti- with the attitudes and the actions and the priorities of heaven. Verse 12, here we get the attitudes of heaven. Therefore, as elect of God, and guys, that's who you are. You're elect of God, holy and beloved. That's how God looks at you as holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Instead of allowing my eyes to be instruments of lustful pursuits, Paul encourages me to look around with the eyes of tender mercy. Another way of interpreting this would be with the eyes of compassion. In other words, to look beyond the outward presentation of a person and to see the needs of their heart. See, so often, think about how we see people. We look at their body. We look at their shape. We look at the prettiness of their face. We look at how their makeup is. We look at their hair. We look at their clothes, what they're wearing. And yet, to think with the mind of Christ is to look beyond that. As a matter of fact, to not even see that and to look on their heart with what Paul calls compassion, tender mercies. It's to see, the out, it's to see beyond the outside of a person and, and, and to see their heart. Are they in need of help? Is their heart crying out for love or for a kind word? Oh, we see the shape of their figure, and we totally so often miss the condition of their heart. But I'm not only going to see that need, Paul says, but I'm going to respond to that need with kindness. You know what kindness is? Kindness is simply putting compassion into action. It's, it's, kindness is compassion with feet on and hands. It's to have a heart to see a need, but then to follow through with that need by doing something to meet it. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, boy, we see this combination all the time. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus looking on the multitude with what? With compassion. But then what did he immediately begin to do? He began to heal the sick or to feed the multitudes. Even when the disciples wanted to send them away, he looked around and he said, how can I meet these needs that I see in these people? And guys, to have the mind of Christ, to put on the mind of Christ, is to see the world the same way. It's to see the needs and then to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I can do something about it. But we've got to meet those needs with an attitude of humility, according to Paul. Hey, many times I see a need, and and sometimes I even choose to meet that need 
But I got to be honest with you, at times I do it with such a haughty attitude, with such a judgmental attitude. I look down on the person in need and think, wow, I'd never get myself in that situation. I'd never allow myself to get there. And I totally forget that, but for the grace of God, that would be me. This Christmas season, we need to think about what's motivating us to help other people. Certainly, we see the needs all around us, especially during this COVID year. Boy, they're everywhere. And many of us are responding to those needs, but we need to respond with a humble heart. We need to get pride out of the way or that sense of superiority towards people. And we need to have the attitude in our heart that we help because we love, not because we're better, not because we have more, but because we love. Jesus also tells us to harness our power with meekness. See, when you, when you think about meekness, I want you to think of these words, me less. That's what meekness is. Meekness is using the power that I have to bless others rather than blessing me. Think of it as being the opposite of a bully. That's what a meek person is. Because what does a bully do? A bully uses their power to humiliate others. The meek person uses his power to empower others. And this is one of the most important attitudes of heaven. Because you remember what Jesus said about the meek? He said, these are the men and women who are going to inherit the earth. In the end, the meek are going to win, not the bullies. The last attitude of heaven that Paul mentions is long-suffering. This is the attitude that we have in our heart where it's the willingness to do the things in God's timing rather than when we want things to happen. It's being willing to accept that God knows best. It's trusting that God has a plan and a purpose for everything that we face in life. Long-suffering puts feet to my faith. We can say we're trusting God, guys, all we want. But if every time something doesn't go our way, we start complaining and griping and getting frustrated, then do we really trust God? Do we really have faith if that's the case? Long-suffering means a willingness to suffer long. If God's plans are different from my plans, and I'm not very good at that, I got to be honest with you. I like to kind of, you know, get focused on the destiny. I'm getting there, and, and then when it doesn't go my way, I'm, I'm not very good at suffering long. But, but, but yet, if I'm going to set my mind on these heavenly attitudes, that's one that I'm going to have to conquer. But in verse 13, now he talks about the actions of heaven. If we've got those attitudes, then bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you, so you also must do. To set my mind on things above means I will exercise two actions that are exercised every day in heaven. You know what they are? The first is to bear with someone. It's, it's to have the attitude that I'll bear with the shortcomings of another person. Quite simply put, I'll put up with the things in you that frustrate me. <laughs> if you'll put up with the things in me that frustrate you. And if you're married this morning, let me say to you that this might be one of the most important actions of heaven you can possibly have. Because when we live with somebody, 
There's a lot of stuff that irritates that other person. But you know what? You need to remember you're doing an awful lot of stuff that are irritating him or her as well. It's to overlook the failures of another person. It's to decide I'm not going to spend my time judging them. I'm going to stop talking down to them. I'm going to stop treating them as failures. I'm going to choose to bear with them. I'm going to treat them the way I treat my three-year-old grandson when I'm trying to teach him how to catch a ball. And every time I see Levi, he's got a ball, so I'm always throwing it to him, trying to get him to catch it. You know, what would, what would you think of me if I throw my, the ball to my little three-year-old and he misses the ball? You know, if I don't hit his hands, he usually doesn't catch it. And I said, what's wrong with you? How could you possibly miss the ball when I throw I threw it right at your hands. And yet, isn't that how we treat each other? Our spouse does something we don't like or they, or they fail at doing something we might have known how to do. Or at least we think we knew how to do better than them. And we start chewing them out, treating them like they, the three-year-old. Guys, we can't treat each other that way. See, if I'm going to teach my three-year-old grandson how to catch a ball, I'm going to throw it over and over and over again. And every time he misses it, I'm going to say, that's okay, we'll catch it next time. And I'm just going to bear with him, understanding that every time I help him, he's going to get better. But what if they just won't learn, Pastor James? Well, then we have another action for you. We forgive. I think many of us really don't understand what forgiveness involves. To forgive means I won't hold a grievance against another person, even though they've hurt me. I won't hold a grudge. I'll let go of the anger and the bitterness that I feel towards that person. And understand, guys, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiveness must be practiced every day. Trust me, if you've been hurt deeply by someone, you know what? Every single morning, you're probably going to have to get up and make the decision that once again today, I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm not going to bring it up again. I'm going to let it go. And notice Paul says of forgiveness that it's not optional. Paul says, so you also must do. Don't treat forgiveness like it's a choice. You know, I see people doing it all the time. Well, I'm going to think about forgiving you. You know what? You can do that. But what if you get before God and God says, you know what? I'm thinking about forgiving you. Next time you pray and you ask the Lord to forgive you and God says, well, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure. According to Paul and Jesus, forgiveness is not an optional thing. If you want God to continue to graciously and willingly forgive you, then you can't turn around and refuse to forgive someone else. Let's make practicing patience and forgiveness a part of our everyday experience. Trust me, if you want one thing that will make your marriage better, it's that. You don't have to go to some seminar. You don't need five easy steps on how to become a better spouse. You just need to be more willing to forgive and to give grace to that other person. Verse 14, we have the, maybe the greatest achievement of heaven. Paul says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Maybe one of the greatest achievements that was accomplished through our salvation on the cross of Christ is that God gave us the ability to love other people as he loves us. 
Notice what Paul calls it here. He calls loving the bond of perfection. The word perfection here is used in the sense of completion. In other words, when we love with God's love, in a sense, God's work in us, it's being perfected or it's being completed. In other words, God is looking and saying, hey, you're getting close. You're doing good if you love the way I love. Notice Paul says, but above all these things put on love. The emphasis he puts on love shows us just how important it is if we're going to bear it out in our Christian walk. You know, Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples. If what? If you have love for one another. If love is going to be the identifying mark for us as followers of Jesus, then it needs to be our top priority. Guys, don't take love lightly. You've got to set your mind on loving others the way God loves you. And this is what enables us to bear with one another. This is what enables us to forgive one another and to be kind to one another and to show compassion to one another. If love is going to be our identifying mark, it's got to be our priority. Verse 15 then says, And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Here Paul tells us about the arbiter of heaven. Did you know that in heaven, the peace of God rules? In other words, what God wants, that's what happens, and it's in peace. There's peace in heaven because God rules in heaven with peace. And God is simply saying, hey, you've got to let the peace, my peace, be the rule maker and the guide in making decisions and choices in your own life. Now think about how easy it is for us to begin to allow earthly circumstances and earthly thoughts to influence our decisions. How, have, how many times have we thought like this? Oh, this job will pay me more, so I'm going to take this one. Or this person is cuter or more handsome. I'm going to date that person. Or this decision makes me much happier. I'm going to make this decision. Listen, money and happiness and outward appearance. Guys, that's how the world makes decisions. Those are the criteria of the world. But it's not supposed to be that way with the child of God. We're supposed to approach decisions by, hey, God, give me the peace here. Lord, let me know. Let your peace guide me in this. And Lord, I'm going to let your peace dictate what I choose and where I go. See, often God's plans, they don't make much earthly sense. If you don't believe me, read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. You know them. You read them and you quickly realize that the values of heaven are not the values of the world. God's path and God's will is accomplished by staying in his peace, following his peace. So when it comes to the decisions and the choices I make, I have to let the peace of God be the umpire in my life. I have to let it guide my choice. The best job for me is the one that's accompanied by God's peace, not necessarily the most money. The, the wisest choice of a date for you high school and college and single people is not the cutest person out there. It's the person that brings the peace of God into your life. Even in the painful choices that we make, we've got to be guided by God's peace. I found that God's peace does not always equate to happiness. At least not in the moment. 
Often, God's peace requires me to make tough choices that put me in socially uncomfortable positions or financially painful decisions and choices that I have to make. Guys, God's ways are not our ways. But let his peace make the tough choices in your life. Let his peace be the arbiter in your life. In verse 16, Paul confirms the authority of heaven. And it clearly is the Bible. Notice here Paul calls it the word of Christ. In verse 16 he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. See, to set your mind on things above is to have your life ruled by the scriptures. It's to let the word of Christ dwell in you, Paul says. The word dwell means to abide or to get down deep inside of you and let his word begin to influence you from the inside out. It gives you the ability to, to, to have wisdom to face what life throws at you and to have the knowledge that you previously didn't have as you've hid his word in your heart. It gives you the ability to see life the way God sees it and to interpret experiences that you have through the lens of heaven, not through the lens of this world. Because sometimes, sometimes I sit down with people and they tell me about an experience they have and then they tell me what they think about that experience. And I go, are you crazy? What? That's what you got out of that? That's not what I got out of that at all. But see, when we interpret our experiences through, well, life experience has taught me this. You know what? The world can teach you a lot of awful ways to think. But God's word comes inside of us and, and puts us in, in, a, in a place to see life's experiences properly and in a godly way. It also places us in the unique position of being able to teach and encourage others. You know, once the word of God gets down deep inside of our heart, then we're prepared to begin to speak into the lives of other people you know jesus got really angry at the pharisees for one well for many things but one of the things he got really angry with them about was taking on the authority of a teacher without really understanding the scriptures oh they claimed to be experts but they weren't jesus described the teaching of the pharisees in matthew 15 this way he said they are blind leaders of the blind and if the blind leads the blind they both fall into a ditch we don't want to be blind leaders, guys. We need to set our minds on learning God's word and letting it get deep down inside of us. Our greatest fear needs to be that we would lead someone, especially someone younger than us, in the wrong direction spiritually. This is why we've got to guard against and work hard to learn the word of God, to keep it in its proper context. This is why we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible here, because this method of learning guards both the teacher and the student from getting going down the wrong path. Listen, remember in Paul's day, there was no New Testament. It was being written. And so one of the teachings of the early church in that day was to teach doctrinal truths through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, they would take spiritual truths and they would put them to music or they would make these short little pithy things that they would memorize. And that's how they would teach God's truth. You see them in your scriptures. Go to Titus or Timothy and you'll see some of these short little pithy things that they obviously memorized. 
This is why many of the songs that we teach the kids in children's church, you know what they are? They're, they're, the, they're the Bible verses put to music. Why? Because it helps them remember it. And they're, they're, they're putting it down in their heart. They don't even know it. They're just singing. You know, they're walking around your house singing some song. It's a Bible verse. This was what the early church did. And this is what Paul is encouraging us to do, is to help people remember the Word of God. But now we have Bibles, so we can carry it with us. Finally, we've been called to be the ambassadors of heaven. We're to represent Jesus here on earth. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is one important thing that we need to point out before we talk about becoming the earthly representatives of Jesus. And that is, we can only be his representatives if our minds are centered on the things above, the things that his mind is centered on. If our minds are focused and consumed on sensual thoughts, if my heart refuses to forgive, if there's no love for those around me in my heart, if my decisions are not guided by the peace of God, and if I'm filling my mind, if I'm not filling my mind with the word of Christ, I can't very well represent him with my heart. God's hope is that every word and every action that I take will do just that. That every word, every deed will reflect the heart of Christ. When people watch your life, do they think, wow, that, that reminded me of what Jesus did that time. And do, do they, is that what they think? See, to do something in someone's name means to perform a deed just as they would do it. It would be to speak words that they would speak if they were there and involved in the conversation. You know, many years ago, I realized this about my role as an assistant pastor here at Calvary Chapel. When Pastor Sandy allows me to fill in on Sundays, you know, I learned that that was not the Sunday that I needed to step in and decide, okay, we're going to change things today. We're going to do things differently because Pastor Sandy's not here today. I got some ideas. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to change the worship style a little bit this morning. Or, or we're going to change the order of the service because, you know, I got, I got some ideas on how things need to flow. Or what if my teaching doesn't reflect the heart of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain? See, guys, when, when Pastor Sandy's away, he hopes, and, and I will tell you, he expects that I would provide a service for our congregation that would reflect one that would happen if he were here. Now, certainly Pastor Sandy wants me to be me, and he wants Matt to be Matt, and Andrew to be Andrew. But he wants us to use the gifts and abilities that God has, used, has given us to do things still as Christ would do them, and as he would do them if he were here. Pastor Sandy don't want me to be him. Trust me, I've tried that. That doesn't work real well. I am not a very good Pastor Sandy. But I can be an okay James. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that if I can be James, but do things with the heart that Pastor Sandy would want me to do things with, it works. And you know what's true? This is the same way Jesus wants us to be. Guys, Jesus doesn't want us to try to mimic him. That's why I was never crazy about the WWJD thing. Now, I understand the heart behind it. 
But you know what it creates? It creates in our minds that we need to walk around and try to be Jesus, you know, like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do when he was there? But, but that's, that's not the point. The point was that Jesus wants us to be us, our gifts, our abilities, our personality. But he wants us to do it with the heart and the style and the spirit of Jesus. He wants us to be ourselves, but he wants us to be ourselves touched and filled with the love and the compassion and the forgiveness and the wisdom of Jesus. And that can only happen if we set our minds on the things above, the things that he's focused on. Are you ready to be his ambassadors on this crazy place we call earth? It ain't easy. But if we're going to be, then we're going to have to have the attitudes of heaven. And we're going to have to perform the actions of heaven. And we're going to have to let your love be the achievement of heaven. And you're going to have to let God's peace in your life be the arbiter of heaven. And you're going to have to study the word so that you can have the authority of heaven. And if we do all of these things, then we become the ambassadors of heaven to the people around us. I want to close today with a really short poem by author Lois Cheney. Uh, it's really a prayer. And I'm going to say it today as a prayer. Today, for what I am that I ought not to be, forgive me. For what I am not that I ought to be, forgive me. Be with my mouth and what it speaks. Be with my hands and what they do. Be with my mind and what it thinks. Be with my heart and what it feels. Work in me, through me, for me, in spite of me. Father, I just want to echo that prayer, Lord. Lord, we, I think everyone in this room really desires that you would work in our hearts. Lord, that, that we would be your representatives, rightly being who you want us to be. But Lord, we also recognize that, Father, our minds can get so corrupted. Lord, that our thoughts can get so focused on the wrong things. And I pray that this week, you'll help each of us to be a little more mindful, a little more mindful of where we're letting our minds and our thoughts go. And then if it's in the wrong place, Lord, you'll help us just to tear it out, throw it away, and get our minds back focused on these attitudes and these actions that you desire us to have. So help us, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. Hey, if you've been watching with us online, we're really, really glad that you've joined us and just hope and pray you'll have a great week. May the Lord bless you keep you in this season may he really keep our hearts and minds focused on the wonderful fact that our lord became like us to reach us so let's reach others with that same love god bless you if you need prayer i'm going to be down front love to pray with you this morning who's taking us out with a song go ahead madison take us thank you for listening to get fed today today's sermon comes from pastor james chapman if you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.